0: You know, in the last year, it's, it's hard to believe, actually, that the end of October will be a full year for us uh, coming and serving here. But in that time, in the last about a year, we'll just round up, there's been one question that Amy and I have heard more frequently than we ever did before from our kids. Now, it has different forms. It, it kind of comes across differently from time to time. But the question is basically, are we there yet? <laughs> Sometimes it's, how many more minutes are we, is it going to take? Or, how much longer? Amy and I, you know, when we first got those questions, we would, we would participate and in, in, in inform them. But we learned, after doing so, shortly after, are we there yet? How many more minutes? We get the same question over again, right? So we've learned that after that first ask, to nip it in the bud quickly. Otherwise, you create these little question monsters your entire drive. <laughs> you know, and it doesn't come from a bad place. You know, the, the kids are just usually really excited to just get where we're going, right? They're usually excited about the destination. Because we've told them, hey, we're going to Meemaw Popo's house, you know, or, or whatever the case may be. And as we begin the journey, the excitement builds and builds. But also with that excitement comes impatience. Right? They, they get impatient about how long it's taking to get to the destination. Now, I will admit that as we've been here longer and been taking more of these trips, it's, it's less and less frequent than what it was when we first started. They're getting used to driving longer times. But it, it brings up the point that, you know, it is hard to be patient sometimes. Even as adults, we can lose our patience. Case in point, you ever get uh, go to the drive-thru and get stuck behind someone who orders the entire menu? <laughs> yeah! It's hard to be patient in those, in those like, come on, it's the drive-thru, it's fast food, it's fast food. Not, if you want the whole menu, go inside, right? Yeah, man. Or you're, you're driving along on the interstate and all of a sudden you're, everything's smooth, and then all of a sudden, brake lights. And you're sitting there forever in a traffic jam. It's hard to stay patient in those moments. Or how about waiting for the pastor to finish service? Yeah. <laughs> Having patience can be hard. Yeah, that's true too. But it, having patience is uh, is hard. It's especially true when it comes to waiting on the Lord. Sometimes waiting on God is just hard. It's hard to sit there in patience and wait and wait and wait. This morning we're we're going to continue our study in Habakkuk. You know, and and as we've Shared each week, you know, we've we've learned that Habakkuk is an Old Testament prophet, right? That had this conversation, this back and forth conversation with God. Primarily around God's lack of judgment on the wickedness in Judah. Now last week we we saw that Habakkuk responds to the Lord's first response with kind of an confusion like wait a minute you're you're raising up a a wicked nation to come in and conquer us like that doesn't make sense that doesn't fit my my box that I've put you in God this doesn't that doesn't work it doesn't compute I know you're holy I know you're righteous I know that you cannot stand sin and so why would you raise this wicked nation to come in And so, last week we learned that he responds to the Lord's response with confusion, but also another complaint or another question. And then goes on and waits to hear from God. He goes and says, I'm going to go wait, and I'm going I'm to listen, and I'm going to wait to see how the Lord responds to this complaint. This morning, we're going to pick up in the conversation here We're going to be uh, beginning a study of the Lord's second response to Habakkuk. We're going to start in in chapter 2, verse 1, where we left off last week. But uh, as we do, I I pray that you have your Bibles open uh, to Habakkuk 2. And while we have the word open, let us seek the Lord through prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we admit that... Waiting on you can be difficult. Waiting for you to move can be difficult. Lord, we also admit and confess that sometimes we're expecting you to move in ways that we want you to move. And therefore we miss what you actually are doing. So Lord, we, we humbly come before you this morning with your word open and, and just ask, Lord, for you to guide this time for you to speak. Lord, if there's anything within us that would distract us from hearing from you this morning, Lord, I pray that through your Holy Spirit you would convict us to surrender that. As we sang, I surrender all. Lord, let that be the attitude of our hearts this morning as we come to worship you through your word. Lord, I pray that you would guide this time to your Precious name we pray. Amen. Well, I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version, uh, starting in chapter 2, verse 1 of Habakkuk. I will take my stand at my watchpost and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me. Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. You know, as I was preparing and reading through scripture this week to try to figure out how much. to to address and and preach from this week. I originally had us go into verse 5. And as I sat with the word and and studied and and sat down praying, I'm like, there's no way I can do all all the way to verse 5 because there is so much here in these verses. And so sometimes the Lord just goes, all right, let's slow down and and let's dissect this a little bit. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Habakkuk, uh, we're starting at the end of Habakkuk's response to the Lord, starting in verse 1, where he had just sent this complaint, responded to the Lord's answer, the, his first answer, and he says, I will take my stand at my watchpost and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. You know, last week, you know, we, we kind of taught that, the, that Habakkuk responds to the Lord with this complaint, and then he kind of goes and hides in a safe place in the watchtower. And that's true, and he goes and he waits, but there's, there's a deeper meaning to what he is saying here and the actions that he takes. It's actually hearkening to the role of what Scripture refers to as the watchman on the tower. And it turns out that being a watchman comes with a high burden. In Ezekiel, go ahead and write this down. We're not going to read from here, but on your own, Ezekiel 3, 17 to 21. Ezekiel 3, 17 to 21. And Ezekiel 33, 1 to 6. Ezekiel 33, one to six. In these two sections of scripture, it def, uh, it defines uh, and reveals the importance of the job of a watchman. And I'm just going to kind of give you snippets, but if you want to read it word for word, that's where you'll find it. The, see, the watchman was responsible to warn the people of the incoming attack, the incoming trouble. They sat on watch. Uh, And when they saw trouble off in the distance, their responsibility was to make it known to the town so that they could prepare. That makes sense. But what you don't know is that if that watchman saw the trouble and failed to report, whatever trouble ended up coming was on their hands. Scripture is very clear that that the role of the watchman bore a high responsibility to report what was coming. And so if they saw the trouble and they did not report or failed to see the trouble and therefore did not report, the guilt was on them. Now, Scripture also tells us that if they reported but were not listened to. They were free of that guilt of incoming judgment. Now, why focus on this? Well, Habakkuk is receiving a vision of judgment coming from the Lord. And he he says, I'm going to go to the watchtower, and I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait to see and hear from the Lord what he will say. He's taking the role of watchman for Judah And it's a high responsibility. And so yes, he's going and waiting to hear from the Lord, but he's also taking action and responsibility for what's to come. And we go into verse 2, and we get to see the initial response of the Lord. And it says, And the Lord answered me write the vision make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it we see that the lord answers habakkuk again a second time there's this back and forth like we've been talking about he doesn't say he doesn't stay silent this time he responds again And I think that this shows God's care for Habakkuk, like they're in the middle of a conversation. And he informs Habakkuk to write the vision, which we've described before is that word. If you flip back, at least for me, it's back one page, to Habakkuk 1, where it says, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. That oracle is this vision. That he's to write. Uh, other words could be sight or revelation. And so God is saying to Habakkuk, write this vision, this revelation that I'm giving you, write it down. And you might ask, well, why, why did God tell him to write it down? Now, some, some believe that it could be that the entire book of Habakkuk is what he was to write down. Some believe that it could just be shorter versions of it. But I think it's pretty clear, starting with verse 1, that this is what the Lord revealed to him and was written down for us. But the act of writing it down on a tablet gave it a sense of permanence. Right, Writing it on in stone, etching it in stone, was a constant reminder that the Babylonians were coming to bring judgment to Judah. Not only was he to write it down on this tablet as a constant reminder, he was also to write it in a way that made it plain to all who would read it. Right? Which means that it was easy to read. It was easy to comprehend what was coming. So anyone who read this tablet wouldn't have to ask questions and go, oh no. They would just know what was coming. So the Lord says write the vision, and make it plain on tablets. Make it easy to read and understand. And as I sat with that, I realized that, you know, every one of us who bear the responsibility to teach God's word should remember to make it plain. Because you don't know where everybody's at. Some of us are further along in our maturity in the word and some of us are babies still. And so as teachers of the word, we should remember to make it plain. Don't overcomplicate it. That that goes for me too. But I think this also talks to when we present the gospel to non-believers, to make it plain. Now, don't water it down, right? We're not to water it down, but use language... That is understandable to a non-believer. Use language that they can they can understand what you're saying. We have a responsibility to make it plain. And he says, God says, write it down, make it plain, so that he may run who reads it. Now, in in my study, there's two possibilities of how to interpret this saying one interpretation could that it, it would be generally understood that when somebody gets that tablet and they read it they run and flee they read it and they're running ju- from judgment right that's one interpretation the second one which i think is more likely is that it's referring to heralds heralds were or or runners see in in this time in the city there would be what they came to know as heralds or gospel runners, and any time there was a decree or, or an announcement from the king or from the watchtower, there would be these runners or these heralds or gospel runners who were tasked with the job of running through town and proclaiming what's coming, right? They were tasked with running with the word, running with the announcement, making sure that it got through town. They were responsible for running through town, proclaiming the news so that all may hear. In this case, so that they may hear of coming judgment. As a believer, this side of history, this side of the cross, how are we to, what does this mean for us? Well, I think it reminds us that every believer, not just your pastor, not just your elders, but every believer is responsible to be a runner, a gospel runner, one who takes the good news and is a herald to others. We all have that responsibility. The Lord continues in his response and he says, Write the vision, make it plain, so that he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. Now, breaking this one into two portions, because depending on what translation you're using, yours might read slightly different than mine. We'll start the first time. The the, the vision is for appointed, a, a time appointed. It has not come yet, but it's set. The time is set. The judgment of the Babylonians, God has set it. He's already orchestrated it. It's for a future time and it's coming. It's an appointed time. Appointed time literally means fixed time or a season that is fixed by God himself. It's appointed so we already know this. We, we already know previously in the first response that the Lord said, I'm raising up, I'm already, already raising up the Chaldeans for judgment. And now we learn that not only is he raising them, he's already set a time for the judgment day for Judah. Now, where your translation may differ from the ESV is this next part where in the ESV, it says, it hastens to the end. Some translations say that it speaks of the end or speaks to the end might be your translation, which has a different connotation to this appointed time. And I'll be honest, I sat with this for a long period this week because I'm like, well, which one is it? Because when I look at the, the uh, original language, It reads as the later, speaking to the end. I said, well, why? The ESV translation is a word-for-word translation, so why does the ESV translate it this way if in the Hebrew it means speaks to the end? It took me a long time to discover this. But the word that's being used here has traditionally been understood to be in its verb form. So traditionally, throughout history, the word that's being translated here has always traditionally been understood to be in its verb form, which would mean breathless haste, or hastens towards the goal, or hastens to the end. There has been recent scholarship, recent scholars who go, I'm not so sure it's in the verb form. I think it's the noun form, which changes its meaning slightly. It changes it to mean more of witness, which changes the translation to, translation to speaks to the end because of the change in the, the grammar. Now, I'm not a, a grammar person, so I don't quite understand it, but I was at least at peace going, okay, now I know why. <laughs> uh, either way... I think it should be understood that the vision that Habakkuk is being given is of the impending coming Babylonian judgment. It's not. I don't believe that there's anything in here that specifically is identifying, you know, future judgment coming that we are aware of. I believe in the context and in tradition that what Habakkuk is receiving here is speaking of the impending coming Babylonian judgment. And that's why, traditionally, it has been translated as, it hastens to the end. Which, we can look back through history and go, well, this happened. In fact, Babylonian came in and conquered Judah in three different waves in history. They... Initiated it in 605 BC. Then another wave in 597, and another wave in 586, which was its complete invasion and, and conquering of Judah. We get to this point where it's like God is revealing that there's a time yet coming, and it don't worry, it will happen. Which when you get words like that and you read scripture, don't, do you ever ask the question, well, why wait? Why doesn't God just bring the Babylonians now? Have you thought that? Like, why is God preparing Habakkuk for a day yet to come where the Babylonians were going to come in and conquer? And not only that, there was going to be three waves of this conquering. Why doesn't God just send them now? As judgment. Well, I think that this is a reminder of God's character, that God loves the world, lost included, and that God has patience. He is not impatient with us. And I see what I what I see here is that God is giving Judah time, if they'll take it one last opportunity to repent of their sins and come back to him and so yes the judgment is coming but God is giving time for the true believers to turn back to him before that judgment day came and as I sat with that I'm like wow there's a parallel to this isn't there Lord The parallel is this, is that judgment is coming to our world too. I was instantly reminded of Revelation 14. Where God reveals that there is a day of reaping coming. There's a day of reaping for God's people and for the world. But in this section of scripture it also reveals that God is patient towards the lost. If we look closely and and examined it in Revelation 14, 15 through 16, go ahead ahead and just turn there for me. Um, It'll be easier to to describe what, what I mean here. I should have had this bookmarked. Revelation 14, starting in 14, uh, obviously this is the revelation to John, so John is speaking. He says, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the, on the cloud, one like a son of man, that's a reference to Jesus, with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. 17. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Put in your sickle. And gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. In these different reapings, we see the word ripe. In verse 15, it says, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. And then again in 18, it says, for its grapes are ripe. These are two different words, both meaning ripe. But the first one that is translated as fully ripe, means mature. Ripe almost in the negative sense, uh, meaning that it's becoming dry and withered, which is the reaping of believers. The second, ripe, is a different Greek word, which means to reach maturity, to become ripe, to be in full vigor, plump, uh, and specifically, like grapes to where like the grape is so ripe that if the 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 slightest pressure bursts it. Now, why does this matter so much? It, it, and i'm I'm convinced that this reveals God's patience for the world. the The, the, the sickle gets put in when believers have had as many opportunities as God will afford to reach lost believers to where even their, the, the, the ripeness is beginning to wither. It's, it's kind of like just getting past ripe. But the second reaping of the grapes is just right at the right moment. It's right when they're prime ready. Ready. is talking about judgment that is coming and that God's judgment on the wicked will be at precisely his perfect timing. It won't delay. It's already set and it'll be his perfect timing. Why, Why bring this into Habakkuk? Well, Habakkuk was facing coming judgment He was being shared with this idea that that his nation, Judah, was going to be conquered and overthrown. Everything he knew, his way of life, everything he believed in was getting ready to disappear. The reality is for us as believers in this world, there's a day coming that that's going to be the case. And God's already got it set. Only the Father knows There is a day coming for all of us, believers and the wicked, the non believers, and it will be at his perfect timing. It continues in, in Habakkuk verse three, the second half of that says, If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. This gets back to our, our patience, right? Sometimes we get impatient. We look at the events that are happening in our, in, our, in our little world, right, but also the world, and we get frustrated. And we've asked God, Lord, where are you? Why aren't you stepping in and, and, and bringing us back into these old days, the, the glory days? Where, where are you right now? Why won't you do something? We get impatient because we want God to act now. But not only that, we want him to act how we want him to act or how we think he should act. This is especially true when we, when we, when I am affected by the troubles of this world. When it gets personal, that's when it really Pushes my patience in the Lord, right? When I'm affected. Sometimes in those moments, it seems like God is not even listening to us. And we could be asking the same complaints to the Lord as Habakkuk is Lord, where are you? Why aren't you doing something? And why aren't you doing it now? Well, as we've already discovered in the last weeks, you know, God responds. He says, I'm always at work. I'm always working. Even if you don't see it, I'm working. It may not look the way we want it to look. It may not even look the way we think it should look or ought to look. But God is doing new things. Here and now in church we need to wake up and realize that it may not look the way we think it should. And if we're if we're looking for a specific picture of what God's action is is going to be, you're going to miss it. Because God is on the move even today. We have to we have to let go of these preconceived notions of what God's justice, what God's righteousness, what, what all of that looks like in action because it distorts and blinds us, I think, from what God is doing. And I'm going to go back to this generation. They're a blank canvas. They don't know who Jesus is. And instead of us grieving that, which, uh, yes, there's a time for grieving that church this is an opportunity that we've not had before they want hope they want to know about jesus they're curious right they're curious about jesus they may not you know be outgoing and coming into our doors but that that day's gone the lost will not come into our doors we have to meet them there that that community that 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 society is gone they're not the lost unless unless god brings them in divinely of their own will they're not coming in so the church needs to reorient our mission and be the church in our community which was the design from the beginning judgment day is coming it is already appointed it will not delay. If it seems slow, wait for it. This echoes Second Peter 3, 9, where he says, The Lord is not slow, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This, if, this doesn't, if this doesn't reorient your understanding that God loves lost people, What will? His patience towards the lost. Not wishing that any should perish. Church, Judgment Day is already appointed for this world. Its it's time has already been set. You can count on it happening. It will happen because the Lord is the one that makes it happen. It will happen at exactly the right time, in the Lord's time. But until that day comes, church, we have been tasked by our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, to be gospel runners, to be the light in the dark places, to go and make disciples, not to wait for them to come in here, but to go and make disciples. To proclaim the gospel to all peoples and all nations even if it feels like we're casting rocks. So that they might respond in repentance and faith and be saved from that terrible day we've been given insight to know is coming. Have we lost our heart for the judgment that is coming for this world. Because we're expecting it to look a certain way. God hasn't. God loves every single person in our community. Every single one of them. The ones that don't look like us, the ones that don't talk like us, the ones that don't walk like us. He loves them just as much as he loves each one of you in here we have to change our tactics. We have to learn to be gospel runners in our communities. Would you pray with me as we close? Heavenly Father, Lord, we just, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how your word is living and active. We thank you that you're Word is God-breathed. And that every opportunity we have to open it, you speak to us. So give us ears to hear you. More importantly, Lord, would you, would you remove the, the construct we've created in our mind of what it looks like for you to act in this world? Give us eyes to see that you are moving and doing new things here in this day because you love this world. You love this world enough that you sent Jesus to come and take our place on the cross. We weren't believers when that happened. We were lost too. So help us, Lord, to be gospel runners. Give us boldness. Give us confidence. Give us stronger faith, Lord, to do these things which don't feel, which which feel foreign to us. Lord, do what only you can do. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to transition to a time...